Hey listeners, are you enjoying our podcasts and coaching advice? Do you feel like some guidance and accountability could help you stay motivated and focused during these uncertain pandemic times? We love connecting with our listeners and collaborating to make training work for your goals, your life, your personality. As a thank you for listening to our podcast, we want to offer any new clients $20 off the first month of coaching, which is normally $150. Email us at Julie and Lisa at runfartherandfaster.com to set up a time to connect over the phone to learn more. And be sure to mention this special offer as one of our loyal listeners. Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. And I hear How's Cooper it going? Too. I hear Cooper in the background. <laughs> <laughs> of course, just as we started recording, somebody came to the door. Isn't that just how it always is? <laughs> of course. Yeah. So how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. It's a, a big um, transition point for all of us right now. I feel like we, we've left summer behind, which is a little sad to me. It's always a little bittersweet when summer ends and we head into the school year. So I know for both of us, our kids are headed back to virtual school this week. And I just feel like it's that pivot into, into fall. And it's weird to not have uh, the fall race season ahead of us. And that pivot into um, what we're so used to running in person, like Parks Half Marathon, which is virtual this year. Um, but so many of our races that are in the fall that we get really excited about uh, and, and or like a rite of passage into fall, it's kind of weird not to have them on the schedule. Oh, it's it totally is. We've talked about this before, but so many of our races are markers in the season. So to not have the, the fall marker of the park Parks Half Marathon live and in person is really strange. Right. Kentland's um, 5K, which is normally Labor Day. Like that. Yep. Again, they're all virtual, but it's weird. And then what's even weirder is that we're thinking about Boston and talking about the Boston, virtual Boston Marathon. Like that, I just feel like kind of out of sorts, like at least from a running and racing perspective, it's like, what is going on? Oh, for sure. I mean, yesterday was so weird. It was our kids' first day of school. And you know, we took a picture because you got to document the first day of school and they went back up to their bedrooms yep. and started their day. And I could hear from each of their rooms, you know, when class was going on. And I, I kind of walked by a few times because I just wanted to make sure things were working okay with, in terms of the connection. And even in virtual school, you hear that one kid in the eighth grade class, you know, interrupting, trying to be heard over and over. And I was like, it's amazing to me that even virtually eighth grade sounds the same as it was when we were kids. <laughs> so funny. Some things don't change even no. when you're online virtual. So um, a little off topic from running, but I'm super excited because um, for Noah, because today he uh, got his driver's license. Congratulations. Thank you. I will... he, he bought his own car, didn't he? Yeah, I sort of. I mean, he he had a little, a little help, but, um, yeah, he, he did that and, uh, he, uh, he's very excited and yes, he negotiated a good deal, blah, blah, blah. But what was, um, really, uh, nerve wracking about it was they changed the driving test a little bit during COVID because I heard. They, they don't want people in cars with the kids. So they have the instructor stand outside of the car and the driver has to do some, some maneuvering that's in a very tight space. So 
honestly, I wasn't sure if he would pass, but he did. And he's super proud. And his first um, little errand was he went and got Shake Shack for the family. (laughs) I love that. That is so sweet. I'm also just picturing these, these very brave, um, the, the driving, whatever you want to call them, the, the, what are they? Not instructors, like judges, but the driving test whatever, administrators, but that's pretty brave to be out there watching the kid drive in a small space. I hope they stood out of the way. Oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah. Did <laughs> I you think... get to be there to watch, to watch a test? No, um, Darren drove him okay. to, I was working today. So Darren drove him up to Frederick and um, I did uh, in the middle of the day during his lunch break from school, we went over to the parking lot near us and he practiced and he knocked over a couple of cones like during his practice. I think he was nervous and I was just like, oh shit, I hope he passes. And you know, this part of me though, I'm, I'm actually really sad about it because I have a lot of good conversations with like a lot of moms in the car. There's something about this space of a car that causes kids to tell you things that they may not otherwise share. You, eye and contact. you don't have eye contact. That's, that's what, what it is. is. You're yeah. right. Yeah, I have to tell you, all my friends who have kids that are now driving age have told me that that was a really big transition point in um, spending time with their kids because they weren't, they, you know, well, it's great that your kids are their license, that that's where it became where they, you know, they felt like they didn't have as much communication. So it's yeah. really interesting that you say that. Yeah. And then of course the other part of it is just the worry of every time your kid drives off, it's just like, it's another thing you have to worry about. So, um, I just probably won't sleep as well, uh, ever again. <laughs> I know don't you have a new respect. And then this is funny. We just discovered this recently that both of us, our first cars were Toyota Tercels, oh, yes. <laughs> right? We just discovered that's so funny. We've been friends for so long and we always keep finding these like commonalities that we have. And I still remember like that was my first car. It was my Toyota Tercel. And this was, uh, what year was it that I would have started? Like 1990, I guess I started driving. So it was like a 1990 Toyota Tercel, no airbags. We didn't have cell phones. And my parents, you know, I remember them standing out on the front porch waving goodbye as I drove away for the first time. And I thought, well, can you, you know, like think about that. Like now at least we have safety features in cars and we have the ability to keep track of our kids. And I just can't believe my parents let me, you know, just drive away in this little tiny car that was very unsafe. Like you got it now. It was like a tin can. Oh, it was a tin can, that Toyota Tercel. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. A, absolutely. But I'm so proud of that car. I'm sure you were so proud of yours too. And, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't so sad when I say goodbye to it. I was just so happy to have something. Um, yes. yes. Yeah. And similarly, Noah, I mean, he, his car, he negotiated, I shouldn't be telling you this, but I will. His car, he negotiated a great deal on it because it was sitting on the lot since March. Um, and it had a really bad smell because the previous owner left hot dogs <laughs> in the trunk. <laughs> Open, so, right? Yeah. <laughs> not, not wrapped hot dogs. So he, he got it detailed like he, we had oh, but to. But let me back and, up. He and Darren had to drive it home from not very close, right? With the stench yeah. of hot dogs. That is like, that is dedication to really wanting a car. That he it drove was a really home good hot dogs belly car until he could get home and get it detailed. That And, and Darren, wow, that's like, you know, props I to mean, him for driving home with him. Oh. It smells so bad. But now it smells fine. And just... uh 
listeners, if you ever have a car smell issue, there are these, in addition to getting it thoroughly clean, there are these things you can buy on Amazon called car bombs. So you like throw this thing in the car and then you turn it on and it's like a bomb of smell or odor that emanates to, to uh, clear out odor. So anywho. Like an odor eater for like a shoe, yes. but it's in the car. So he wants to buy like a sticker, like a magnet for this car that he saw that has like the Hebrew national symbol on it. Which I was going like the Wienermobile. Um, the Wienermobile, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. The, the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. So I, I love it. We are so off topic. My apologies, listeners. I just had to share. I just so also Lisa. think, I'm just picturing the people selling, the, the dealership selling the car. They're like laughing. They're like, we finally sold the hot dog car. Oh, for sure. They were, I'm sure they were like, I mean, they really practically gave it away. And you're right. Like a hundred percent. Um, that's yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So um, moving on, share with our listeners your exciting news, what you are doing for your Boston virtual. I am really excited. Well, and it's thanks to you because uh, I don't remember what it was like a week ago now or so. Um, you forwarded to me information on a little race that um, a, a, a Boston streaker in Pennsylvania put together because he didn't want to run his race by himself. And I think he's run over 40 consecutive Boston marathons. I forget what the number is, but he's a Boston streaker and he didn't want to run it by himself. And he put together a, a course that he's in the process of getting certified. And he opened, uh, he got the permission of the community in Pennsylvania and opened this race to 70, maximum of 70 runners who were qualified for and registered for the Boston virtual marathon. So he limited it to people who were um, supposed to, again, registered for the Boston virtual. And um, it is five loops of a 5.25 mile um, course on neighborhood roads around a lake in, in Pennsylvania. It's about four hours away from, from us here in DC. And, um, you know, it's, it's very small. It's going to be limited to 70 people. There are COVID procedures in place there, you know, social distancing, you have to wear a mask when you start, when you finish, um, kept very small, the roads are not closed. So, you know, it's like running, it would be like me running in my neighborhood, which was sort of the plan. And, um, when you first sent it to me, I thought, Oh, great. Let's like, let some of our runners know about it as an option. And as I started doing that, and looking into it, I started thinking, wow, wouldn't that just be nice to kind of have that excitement of going somewhere for something and having other people around and also taking away the, the thought process of having to map out a course. Um, it sounds like it's a flat course with a little bit of a, there's 0.4 mile of the loop, 0.4 miles of the loop is on a bike path that does have a little dip, they said, but compared to what we run here, it sounds pretty flat. And um, I just started thinking that having something I, I really needed that excitement of racing back and that and even if it's not a, a, a traditional race which clearly is not something we're going to have anytime soon but just to have that excitement of looking forward to going somewhere different running a different course different scenery and um, being around some people got me a little bit like thinking like well gee may, maybe maybe I should do it so I went ahead and I registered and um, with the thought in my head that uh, it's not until September 13th. So that's kind of the tail end of the, of the period that's coming up for the Boston virtual. They expanded the, the um, range of dates. Uh, it was going to be the 7th through the 14th. Now it's the 5th through the 14th. So people can start running it this Saturday. So it's toward the end of that. And I started getting a little nervous. Like I, I prefer to get it done toward the, 
beginning and just be done with it and not have it sort of, you know, we've all been in this for so long. We've been training for this race for like nine months now and I'm ready to just have it done. So part of me thought if I look at the weather and I see that in Pennsylvania next um, Saturday and Sunday, it's going to be rainy or bad weather, then I will just do it here earlier in the week, like originally planned and have that flexibility. So I did register with the thought that I, I may still change my mind, but we now have three runners who are registered for it as well. Um, so now I'm a little bit excited about it. And I was just telling you before we got on, um, a good friend of mine in our neighborhood just, uh, organized a little, um, kind of, she was, her daughter, uh, had a, uh, brain tumor a couple of years ago and she's active in a, a organization that raises funds for brain tumor research. And she decided to do a, a virtual 5k, uh, for that. And even though I'm anti-virtual races, or I have been, uh, of course we wanted, um, my daughter, who's, this is one of her best friends. We wanted to support them. So I, I signed up for it. And then she decided, well, you know, it would be nice. Maybe we'll just do a little, um, run through our neighborhood, all, all the neighbors who had signed up. If anyone wants to come run, she mapped out a course through the neighborhood and just told everyone to meet at her house and bring a mask so that when we met, we all have masks, but then everyone could just run or walk or ride their bike or rollerblade through the neighborhood. Um, so my plan was uh, to run it with our, our good friend and physical therapist and my neighbor, Rachel Miller. I thought, you know, I'll just go run it with her and have a fun, easy run through the neighborhood. And when I got there, Rachel decided she was going to walk it with some other people in our neighborhood. And so there weren't many people who were going to run it. And I thought, gosh, I don't, I don't know what to do. And our, the teenagers in, in the neighborhood hold, heard me talking about it with Rachel and said, well, if you're not running with Rachel, how about you pace us? Like we, we need somebody to pace us. And I thought, oh my gosh, guys, this is like way over my head. These are um, 15 to 17 year old boys who are very fast. And I thought, guys, I said, I said, maybe I'll get you started because it was a downhill start. I said, but after that, you guys are on your own. So, and, and I have not run, I will be totally honest. I have not run faster than probably an 8.45 mile since February, the last time I raced. So I thought, I don't even know if my legs even move that fast anymore. So um, it was fun. My, you know, Alex, my, my son and Alex and Ari were, were with me. Ari rollerbladed it and Alex brought his bike. And so when everyone was asking like, well, what's the course again? What's the course? Alex said, I know it. I'll, I'll lead on my bike. So he led out on his bike and I went out with the, these teenage kids. And I um, have to tell you, once we started running, like that kicked in that, that, that excitement of race day, um, even though really, again, wasn't a race and there were only a few of us actually running where the rest were walking. It wasn't like a big crowd, but that excitement and that joy kicked in again. And um, I ran the whole thing with two of the, two of the boys, I will say, you know, teenage guys and, and ran, finished the 3.1 miles in, in under 22 minutes. So, you know, not exactly, I think the last 5k I ran, I had run a sub 20, um, you know, not, I forget last year sometime. So it's, it's still a couple minutes off my, off my, uh, typical time, you know, actually my more typical times in the 20s. So it was, you know, at least a minute to two minutes off. Um, but it was way faster, way faster than I run in like, I don't know how many months it's been since February. So much, much faster. And it just reminded me like how fun it is and how we do get that. You know, so many of our runners say, I don't know how I'm going to run a fast race or how I can, I don't think I can run fast anymore because we just haven't been doing that. And we've been taking care of ourselves and not pushing ourselves and um, being careful to stay healthy and, um, and haven't had really a reason other than maybe the speed work in our schedules, which 
I don't do any, any of, or haven't done any of recently. So it's hard for people to really see that that race day magic, the adrenaline does kick in and our fitness that we've built and that we've sustained over these months. And if we're healthy, you know, knock on wood comes through. And, and so, so it, it got me excited. So when I finished that, when I finished that, I thought if I can go to Pennsylvania to do this race, even though it's a small group of people, um, it's something I really want to do because it was, it was just fun to, be back out pushing myself again and, and feel that excitement. So that was a good, uh, a good reminder. It sounds super fun. And I love that the boys, the boys, um, thought so highly of the mom in their neighborhood that they, <laughs> they wanted, just wanted to be me. And like, they you, could be- no, they wanted you to pace them. And, and, and I love that you just went out and did it. Didn't put much thought into it. And you, you said you were a little far off from your typical time, but really it was probably pretty close because the course that you ran was super hilly and yeah, typically you aren't running a 5k on a course that hilly. So you really weren't that far off. Thanks. You know, it, felt, sure. it felt good. It felt like I said, I was surprised that I could run that pace at all because I haven't run it in so long. So for anyone out there who has been like me, kind of just, you know, taking it easy and not, not doing speed work or not pushing yourself or not racing. And, and that's part, you know, in the summer, oftentimes I race a lot because that's my speed work. So I do a lot of five Ks, you know, both of us, it was so fun in the summers just to go do a five K and, um, and that would sort of be my speed work. And I've had none of that and I haven't had the motivation. And, uh, so it's nice to know that we haven't lost all of it. And uh, it was, the other thing was on, Sunday morning, it was relatively cooler and less humid. And so a good reminder too, of how much the weather um, has, has affects us. And hopefully we'll get some cooler weather in here. I know the next couple of days here are going to be hot again, but we are headed toward fall. So just a friendly reminder that we've got some nice weather ahead. So before we get off topic about the race, what I also really like about the race is that it's similar to the last chance to be cube race that I ran last year. Not only is it a loop course, that's relatively flat, but um, most, if not all, of the people have a connection to Boston because um, I believe one of the requirements um, from what I read is that you had to have been a Boston qualifier to you run have to it. actually have been registered for the Boston Virtual. So yeah, yeah. So um, that too is is nice because you'll be in the company of people who are similar. Really in fast. the same same <laughs> in the same situation as you, and you know sharing something special, but on a certified course. It's yeah. not a random marathon. It's one where everybody is designated. Well, it's not certified yet. I will say we, um, one of our runners okay. have inquired and then they do say on the website that the certification is pending and the race director has measured and submitted the measurements. So now it's just a process of you know getting the paperwork through. And if it goes through before uh, the race date, then it will be, uh, the results will be can be used for qualifying for Boston. So that's really nice for those who were looking for a 2021 qualifying time, although we know now we don't know what that's going to even look like anyway. So, um, so, so anyway, so what we want to talk about today is, you know, this is race week for, for some of our runners could be running it as early as Saturday. Um, so we're less than a week out now. And we had done a podcast a couple few weeks ago on, on picking your course and kind of the few weeks out. And I you know, we wanted to talk today about, about week leading up to, uh, the, the day before a couple days before and, and the race itself. And, you know, it sounds funny when I was doing race prep for some of our runners who are running it on their own in other places earlier. Um, you know, I kept 
thinking, do I use the word race or do I use the word run? It's, you know, but it, it is still, it's still our race. Even if, even if you decide to run it at an easy pace, even if, you know, you're looking at it as a, a long training run, it's, it's still the virtual Boston marathon. So um, I think the first and most important thing to be doing this week, and I, I have to do this myself, is getting in that right headspace and getting back to thinking it, thinking of it as a race, even if, again, even if you're not gonna pace it as a race, but getting, I think what I've seen with our runners and with myself is it's really hard to shift back into that race mindset when we've sort of all along just been like, oh, well, this is, you know, I think we've written off some of, for a lot of us, we've written off this race season. So it's really hard to get back into that mindset. So I think what's really important for anyone who is doing this is to find your why this week and really think about um, why you're doing it, what, what is motivating you, what's going to push you through that distance because it's a long distance and uh, we need that mental motivation as much as we need the physical strength and the physical ability to get through it. So I think that's something really that I've been focusing on. I know we've been encouraging our runners to focus on is take some time and, and, you know, we're sending them race prep, even though a lot of them are like, I don't need race prep. I'm just going to go do a long run. But I think that race prep gets people in the mindset of like being able to, to, to really start to think about it and, um, and, and, and get back into that mindset. So that, that I think is, is a really big challenge for this race because there isn't the excitement of a start line and the big crowds and, uh, what we're so used to as a race. So why don't we give some people some ideas out there, maybe who haven't figured out their why, what their why could be. So Lisa, why don't you share what your why is first? Well, I think my why is what I discovered this weekend with this little 5K is just that joy of, of pushing myself a little bit more and accomplishing something. My why is that I, I love the Boston Marathon. We both do. You know, this is why we started this podcast. It, it is like, it feels like it is our, um, it's something that's so integral to us and our, and our lives. And we didn't get that in, you know, in the standard form this year. So that's my why is like, I want to run the Boston Marathon. If that's what this is this year, then that's, you know, that's what I want to do. And, and if it was going to be here on my own, or if it's going to be in Pennsylvania with other people that, like you said, are kind of have a similar situation, um, that, that was really kind of what it is. I want to finish this because it's part of what I do and part of what I've done for so long. And my year has felt really weird and incomplete without having finish that. And it doesn't mean like, I don't care that I'll have the shirt or the medal or whatever, but you know, we didn't have that. It just, it, it's very, it's very odd and unsettling to me. So my why is to find that joy of that accomplishment and specific, specifically the accomplishment of, of the Boston Marathon. And because that's what this is this year, you know, we don't, we don't have the option of actually running the Boston Marathon, you know, certainly not in April and, and now not in, in September in, in Hopkins and starting in Hopkinton. So that's what this has to be this year. So that's been my why all along is that I want to finish the Boston marathon, whatever, whatever that takes. So that's one, that's one why, um, you know, some of our other whys that we've seen are, um, you know, people who faced uh, specific challenges this year, and this is an accomplishment that they really want. Um, some people, um, have struggled with injury and they're coming back from that and they want to prove to themselves that they can still do this. Um, it can be, um, just that, you know, we can do hard things in, in, in the midst of a pandemic that we're still, we still have our running. So I don't, 
know if you've thought of other whys that, you know, that, that you can suggest, but I think um, Well, I think similarly, I, I like what you just said about people recovering from injury, whether it's recovering from injury or even if the injury is something internal where you're just, you haven't been feeling like yourself and you've just been feeling really out of sorts and you want to run this because it brings you back to a place where you can do something fun for yourself for a few hours and be out there pushing your body and not thinking about all the things that are going on outside of running because running is, as we've talked about, you're just putting one foot in front of the other. And it's also very much a metaphor for life, putting one foot in front of the other. So what a great time and challenge for yourself to get out there, do something solely for yourself, where you're challenging your body and proving to yourself that no one can take away your running, even if there are no races. That would be one why. And then another is um, just being able to, and this is kind of similar, but it's, it's an escape. It's a way to just have a few hours to yourself where you don't have to answer to anyone. And running does that for so many of us. And so does racing. I know that for many, racing is about challenging yourself and setting new goals. But racing is also an escape. It's doing your sport as an adult and being able to set very tangible challenges and accomplish goals that have nothing to do with bigger goals in life that sometimes you can't control as much. So what a great opportunity, especially in these continuing times of uncertainty, to set a certain goal. And what can that certain goal be? Finishing a marathon does not have to be a time. There is no pressure. So just setting a goal of finishing a marathon in, in a pandemic, I think that's pretty cool. I think, I think so too. And it's funny when you just said like an escape, I thought, and it's like, however many, you know, four hours of like, nobody calling you, nobody bugging you, nobody like not having to check email, not having to answer to kids, not having, it's all yours. And it's your chance to like, to be out there and, and focus on yourself. I love that. And, and, you know, for a lot of people too, it's, and, and this is part of what, uh, you know, is my why, but finishing what you started, a lot of people just have that like desire to like, I did all this training and I need to like wrap it up in a bow at the end. Like I have to have, I have to do that. If I go on and I don't have that, I'm going to feel incomplete. So really, I think that's something to think about this week as, as we're tapering down and we have a little bit more time is to think about what's going to get you excited about this. Is it you know, getting that finisher shirt after you're done. Okay. That's great. Is it, is it, um, you know, posting pictures of your finish when you're done? Is it having your family meet you with the finish? Is it, you know, what is it that's going to make you, um, excited about this, about this, this, this experience? Yeah, no, I think that's so true. And to that end, it also provides us with some periodization. I think like you mentioned earlier, you said, I've been training for this for nine months. And while we took breaks here and there when we learned developments with respect to the race, um, it's been on our minds for nine months. So to be able to, in your words, wrap it up in a bow and then be able to take that finite break yes. and then Move set on. some new Move goals. On. Move yes. on. Feel like you did what you needed to. I, I absolutely um, – that's that – I'm going to interrupt our Boston race prep for a second because I feel like this is a good time to talk about something you can do after that break. And that is we are actually offering something um, pretty soon to runners um, anywhere. And that is 
we are offering our speed and strength program, which is always a local program, a big group local program we do in the spring, typically right after Boston, we start it. And it's an opportunity for runners to do exactly what the name of the program is, increase their speed and develop their strength. And we are, we have decided to offer this program in the fall after Boston for 11 weeks. And it's the first and hopefully only virtual, I'm sorry, nine weeks virtual speed and strength program. So um, the program will mirror very much what we've done in the past, and it's a really effective program. We've talked about it on this podcast before, but the difference is now, of course, is that you don't have to be local to participate. So the information about our speed and strength program is up on our website. Um, the price is very reasonable for this nine-week program. We will be offering all kinds of enhancements, which will include um, guest speakers and also strength workouts specifically for runners from various trainers that we work with. Um, those will be done in conjunction with a tailored schedule that will have runs that will be tailored to your level. Um, and the the workouts themselves will be tailored to each runner's individual level. However, um, the requirement to be a part of the program is that a runner must be able to run 30 minutes without stopping at any pace. It doesn't matter what pace, but we just need a little bit of an, of an endurance base uh, to be able to participate in um, this type of program. Lisa, did I miss anything? No, I think you covered uh, most of it. I'm excited that we're getting to offer this program. This has been, we've done the program for, I don't know how many years now, it's like six years, maybe seven years. And every year, everyone who com comes in, regardless of where they're starting from, improves. And our benchmark has been a, a mile or two mile time trial. So it's much shorter distance. It's uh, a chance to take a step back from from the um, longer distance uh, endurance work that some people have been doing, uh, not everybody. For those who are just running minimal, it's a chance to sharpen speed and, and work on strength. And we're going to have trainers come and do um, strength videos, which you'll be able to do from the comfort of your home without any equipment. And I really think it's going to be, you know, we've thought really for a long time about how to do this effectively when we can't meet in person on a track. And I think we've got a good plan and I think it'll give people of all levels. And like you said, you know, as long as you're able to currently run kind of continuously for about 30 minutes, that's sort of the baseline, but it can be also runners like us who've been training endurance level and want to periodize and come back and shorten the, you know, cut back on the mileage, but work on that speed and strength. That's right. So the program is going to begin at the end of September and um, it will end at the end of November. Yep. Yep. And like so, you said, information's up on the website and registration's open. So if anyone has any questions, they can shoot us an email, but uh, we're excited to get that started at the end of September. So, um, so let's go back and talk a little bit more for those who are running either Boston virtual or some people are running other virtual marathons coming up this week or in the fall, because a lot of marathons are going virtual now, um, what you can be doing in that week leading up. So we talked about the mental part, which again, with the virtual races, I think we always talk about it with all of our races and 
typically even regular races, you know, when we were had live races, but I think that's super important this time. And then, um, you know, we had a couple of questions come in after our last podcast, uh, one being, you know, what about masks? How do you plan for masks if you don't know on your route, if you're going to run into people? And I think the answer to that is what we've been doing all along is you have one handy so that if you're on your route and you can't socially distance, you've got your, your mask handy. So I think that's just, you know, just what we've been doing all along. And then another question that came in was, um, you know, if you um, can't, don't have support to, to provide you with water and fueling along the way, how do you carry all that, that fluid, all your, um, you know, the hydration that you're going to need. Now, if you're not used to running with a big hydration pack, which in and of itself may not be enough for the time that you're going to be out there, I think the answer to that is you've got to choose your route wisely then. And if you, if you're not going to have support and you are not used to running with a hydration pack, I would not choose this time to start running with a hydration pack you've never run with because that could lead to chafing and you know, just being really uncomfortable and you wanting to ditch that hydration pack possibly. Um, then, then you've got to choose your route so that you loop back by your house or by a place where you know you can get water, water fountains, whatever you know, you're comfortable doing. I would be we, we've recommended and, and you could do it, you know, stashing some water bottles beforehand, but there's no hundred percent guarantee that they'll be there when you come back. So what happens if for some reason they're not there and, you know, then you've got to have a backup plan. So I think the answer to that question is uh, then don't choose a route that doesn't have opportunities to refill your water. And similarly, we've talked a, a lot in our last episode um, in terms of choosing your route in some parameters. And we have suggested that you choose a loop a loop route, and this is one of the many reasons why, but another reason for choosing a loop route is that what a great way to engage your friends and family and supporters to come out and cheer you on. And maybe you're someone who's private and you don't want to tell anyone that you're doing this, but if you are inclined, what better way to uh, garner support and, and help you, especially during those later miles when you're just feeling a little down because we all experience that. Um, of course, one of the reasons we often feel down later is our nutrition, which we talked about in our last episode. So definitely go back and listen to what to do to fuel. But also we all know from running marathons how important support is. So don't be shy about asking people to get out there and cheer you on. And people want to help. I mean, my gosh, what a great opportunity. There's no sports. I mean, there's a little bit of sports, but you know, there's no races. And even if there are sports, we're not really allowed to be out there cheering. So I think everyone's eager to cheer on an athlete. So please give people the opportunity, engage them and choose a route that's convenient so people can go out and cheer you on and ask, give them a job. So if you need water, if you need hydration, you need a salt tab, need some nutrition, give them a job. People would be more than happy to support you. It's a great way to get people involved, especially with everything canceled. It's a wonderful opportunity to show people what the marathon is all about and also to make people feel part of something in the community. Absolutely. Absolutely. So speaking of hydration that you were just talking about, that's again, this week, another thing you want to start focusing on. Um, we have always liked to say your urine should be clear and copious. So, um, you know, just make sure there's no need to overhydrate. You definitely don't want that. Um, and in addition to the hydration, um, especially because a lot of us are going to be running this in warmer, more humid weather, you want to pay attention to your electrolytes this week and, and in the days leading up to your 
to your virtual uh, race. So you can get that through your food itself. So don't forget, we're not talking just about um, our electrolytes aren't just sodium. It's also potassium, magnesium, calcium. So in addition to adding salt to your food or eating some salt to your foods, um, you know, you want to get some dairy or calcium, um, bananas, uh, some dried fruit, um, or start supplementing, like drinking, adding, you know, a noon tab to your water or taking a salt stick tab. Um, you know, you don't want to, again, don't overdo anything. So you don't need to overdo any of that, but just start being more cognizant of your electrolytes because even more than hydration, your electrolytes can really, um, uh, affect you on race day. And, and speaking of hydration and drinking, avoid alcohol in the week leading up to your race. It, it will really impact how you, how you feel on an endurance run. So if you're going to give up alcohol at all, this is the week to do it. And a lot of us, I know don't drink a ton of alcohol, but um, just cutting back and, and avoiding it to the extent that you can, um, really important this week. And, and, and eating foods that you're used to, that your body's used to. I always love story that one of our um, local other kind of elite runners had, had shared one time on her blog that before her marathon, she, had, she, you know, she typically would eat foods like, um, I think it was like Chipotle and, you know, uh, the, like the uh, uh, rice and whatever, burrito bowls at, that she would have for, um, for her meals before the race. And the week before a one particular race, she decided to eat very clean and kind of clean up her eating and cut out all the processed food. And she had a really crappy race and she attributed it to the fact that she wasn't getting the sodium and, and a lot of the nutrients that her body was used to, even through the, the not as great foods. Um, you know, they weren't terrible foods, but they were, you know, had some, had some redeeming value. So don't change what you do suddenly, um, this week is you've been training this whole time and hopefully you've been training for what you're eating and what works and what doesn't. Um, so, so stick with that. So that's one, one thing about this week. The other would be sleep. So um, just getting more sleep, going to bed half hour earlier, trying to sleep in a little bit more now that we're not putting in as many miles and getting, you know, have a little more opportunity to get some extra sleep. So that's another, another thing that runners can do this week. Yeah. And also with respect to taper, there's something else that I think is unique to this time we're in. And that is everybody's doing a lot more walking these days. Um, and so when thinking about your taper, if you're someone that you're doing a lot of walking and typically during your taper, you're not doing as much walking as you are these days, cut back on your walking a little bit too, because that really is part of your taper is cutting back on time on your feet. So if you're someone who, let's say you typically walk, you know, three four miles a day on top of whatever running you're doing, cut back your walking a little bit. It, it does make a difference. Um, I was talking to Callie Scherf at RNJ. I got fitted for a new pair of shoes a couple weeks ago, and she was saying that people are uh, wearing out their shoes so much quicker during this time because everybody's walking so much more. Oh, and it really got, yeah, it got me thinking. I'm like, you know, I am walking a lot more too. And um, to that end, it is something that would impact your marathon taper. So walk a little less as well. That's a great, a great point. Um, and just, um, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that this week that um, anyone doing the Boston virtual should download the Boston Marathon Virtual Experience app. And talking about, we talked a little bit about the mental aspects and getting excited. Um, that'll give you a chance to download your bib that you would have had had you run the Boston Marathon. You can print out a finish line tape, start line, um, the, the entering 
different town signs. Like it's got a lot of really cool stuff on there. You can also use the app um, on race day for your fans to follow you, your spectators to follow you. Um, you'll use it to enter your time. So make sure uh, the email went out from Boston Marathon with that, but make sure you download that. And, and it, it does help you get excited and feel like it actually is, you know, you know, virtual race week. So um, I would say make sure to do that. And also then just um, go through all your course logistics. If you do have people coming out to watch you, make sure, like you were mentioning before, make sure they know where to be, what they need to bring, what time you're going to be there. If you can send people a, a course map that you have, um, if you're going to use the Boston Marathon app for uh, tracking and so people can track you, there's actually a shakeout run um, function that you can do the day before to test it out. So that's something, you know, you want to play around with, or if you're going to, um, if you have a Garmin, you can use the Garmin live track where you send a link to any email address that you want that allows people to live track you. So if you've got people coming out that are going to support you, think about how you're, how you're going to do that right now. Like how are you going to have, let them know where you are. So you can use the Boston Marathon app. You can use the Garmin app, um, the Garmin live track app. Um, and also thinking about having those as backup too. Now, the Boston Marathon is allowing runners to just enter their time on the honor system. Um, so if worse comes to worse and your watch dies or your Garmin doesn't work or Strava's not working, you can go in and you can enter your time. But if you're somebody who really wants to make sure you have a record of it, maybe you think about, I'm going to use my Garmin, but I'm also going to have my phone that has the Boston Marathon up on it that's tracking me, or I'm going to use that and I'm going to use Strava or, you know, whatever it is, you might want to have a backup um, in case, you know, I know my watch is zonked out before in the middle of a run or lost satellites or something weird has happened and my mileage isn't right. And, you know, you don't want to be stressed out about that. So that's something to be thinking about this week leading up is play around with some of that technology and make sure um, it's all, it's all working. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's also something as simple as find my phone, which if you're, if you have yep, friends and family that have that app, that's probably a, a, a great backup as well. Garmin has not been great this week. I know a few of our runners have experienced problems again. I don't think it's a dramatic um, software issue like last time, but I'm a little nervous about what's going on with Garmin. Have you noticed that it's been a little wonky this week? Just want that one day. It was, it was, um, it was actually Sunday morning. It wasn't uploading anything. So yeah, but you just never, it's technology. So don't, you know, yeah. don't rely on it too much. Just have a couple backups. And like I said, it, it worst comes to worst, you'll have your time. You'll, you'll be able to enter your time. You're going to get credit for, for running the race. Um, so, um, you know, as we get closer to the race, your race day, um, you know, you're going to want to think about like then, you know, what you're going to eat the night before your, your nutrition the night before. Again, it shouldn't be anything different than you've done before. We like to say shift your percentages towards more carbs. So if you're used to eating like a big piece of chicken with a small side of sweet potatoes or rice, you may want to shift those proportions and have more sweet potatoes and rice and a little bit less chicken. Um, no need to overeat. You know, we talk about carb loading, but that doesn't mean stuffing your face the night before with like, you know, double the size, what you normally would. Um, also being very careful, particularly the day before about high fiber foods. They're harder to digest, take a longer time to digest. So you want to be careful about those higher fiber foods. So really um, what we've found, and again, you've got to know what works for you, but what we've found, and you know what I've found is that simple carbs work very well the day before for me. I typically have my candy ready to go and my sushi with white rice. So I like those very simple carbs and I just feel like they digest well and provide that good energy and doesn't 
lead to any GI distress. So again, this is something that everyone should be practicing, but starting to think about now, like really planning out the week and then planning um, that your meal, if you're, depending on when you're going to start your run, you're going to want to eat about 12 hours. The last your dinner um, about 12 hours before. Your last really large meal should probably be like lunch that day before. You don't want to have a really large dinner. And in fact, we often tell our runners to kind of have a bunch of mini meals throughout the day, the day before, so that you're not having one huge meal at any time. So, um, so that's, you know, the day before and staying hydrated. And again, um, we always recommend our runners take a salt stick tab or drink some noon the, the day before so that you're loading up on those electrolytes with, with your dinner. Um, you know, not trying anything new or spicy or risky or anything that's going to give you stomach problems the day before. Stick with, stick with safe stuff and save all the risky stuff for after your race. And this race, the timing of this race presents a unique problem. That is, it's right around, for those running it soon, it's right around Labor Day weekend. So if you're going to a barbecue, uh, just kind of watch what you're eating or just um, make a plan for yourself so that you're not grazing on foods that you wouldn't ordinarily eat that may not be conducive for uh, pre-race fuel. Or drinking. You know, that, yeah. That type of thing. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and, and then just also, you know, the day before laying out everything that you're going to need, um, that's going to be your running clothes, obviously your shoes. If you have any insoles, your socks, body glide, body glide, body glide, especially now with it being a little bit warmer and more humid. Um, if you want to print out your Boston marathon downloadable bib and you're going to use it, print that out before, um, we never had these on our, on our race prep list before, but a mask, make sure you've got a mask that's comfortable. You know, if you're going to want to switch out your mask, if you feel like it's something that's going to get sweaty when you're running and you want to switch it out, have a plan. Either you bring one with you or you put it somewhere. You have a loop that you're coming back by a, a dry mask that you might want. Make sure your watch is fully charged and, you know, it's working well. Um, and, um, and wait, I, I just want to add one thing about watches really quickly, and that is um, your course is probably going to have some, some crossings and some times when you might need to, to stop. And that's just, it's, if, we're running 26.2 miles. It's, it's really tough, even with loop courses, to find a perfect course where you might, where you won't have to stop. So to that end, um, I would suggest wearing a Garmin watch where you can look at your pace, but also, if you want, wear another watch that's just continually on, so you know you know your overall time, and you can use the Garmin to sort of monitor your pace. If you are someone who's in the habit of shutting your Garmin off when you're at a stoplight or you know, pausing it rather than not shutting it off. It may be hard during the race to not do that out of habit. So if you're someone like for me, I pause my Garmin or it pauses automatically when I'm at a stoplight. So I might during a race just automatically do that. And then I would forget. And so if I were doing the virtual Boston, I'd probably wear, uh, have two timing pieces, one just pre presenting my overall time and then one for my race pace. And what, what you can do too is you can set your Garmin um, display to show elapsed time and moving time. There, those are two fields that you can actually set on your, if you look it up online, how to set your um, Garmin fields. So you can actually, you can even have different screens on your Garmin. So that's a way to do it. As too. long as you don't turn it off, as long as you don't pause it. 
No, if you pause it, it's still, if you don't, if you it's stop done. it, okay. stop. but if you pause it, That's it will stop. still show stop you, it. Yes, yeah, so it will show you yeah. elapsed time and moving time. So you can set those as two fields yeah. if you want to see that on the same watch and then just have to make sure you know, which is obviously the one, the elapsed time is going to be longer than your moving time, but you're right. That's, and you know, there, it really hasn't been addressed that I have seen like what time is going to upload to the system, whether it's going to be your total moving time or your elapsed time. My guess is it's elapsed time. Like it, it it's that's just going to be from the time you started to the time you finished. And if you yeah. stopped in between, it's just going to add to your, I mean, just like you would in a race if you stopped in a and race. And it should. Right. Yeah. But that's a good point. But, um, you know, a lot of times too, uh, we don't carry our phones in races, but now a lot of people will want to carry their phones for a number of reasons. First, if you're going to need to get in touch with somebody or if someone is tracking you and also the Boston marathon app is on your phone. And that's how, if you're going to track yourself with that, which you don't have to, but if you're going to, or you're going to have your spectators tracking you, you do have to carry your phone. So if you're going to be carrying your phone, make sure you know how you're carrying that. Are you going to wear it in a spy belt or an arm sleeve? You know, make sure that your phone is fully charged. Um, you're going to want to make sure this week, you're going to want to make sure you have all your race nutrition stocked up. So get to your local running store and stock up on your, on your race nutrition. And that's what you're going to want to lay out the night before. So we're talking about what to lay out the night before, um, your hydration belt or bottle. If you've got it, um, if you're going to be using it, a spy belt or a, you know, a fuel nutrition belt or something to carry your phone. If you've got it, hat and sunglasses, your sunscreen, um, and um, I always put on the list of to have on hand, and you know this isn't something you need to pack with you, but something to have on hand, compression socks for after, compression calf sleeves or socks for after your run to put those on, start that recovery process. So that's what you're going to, you know, when you're, um, this, we're talking about the day before now, what you're going to want to lay out and have that all laid out um, for, for the morning of the race. Um, so that's, you know, that's important to think about now. Like what, what are you going to need? What are you going to lay out? Um, and then, um, just again on the, on the day before the race, um, sleep, trying to go to bed a little bit earlier, uh, and, and not worrying so much. You know, a lot of us get nerves the night before a race, even if it's a virtual race. So making sure you're just planning accordingly. And, and the beauty of this is that if you're not, you know, running with other people or, or if you don't have people who are going to be waiting for the course, if you don't sleep well and you want to sleep in a little bit later and the weather isn't an issue, then, you know, you can start a little bit later. You don't have a, a start line that you have to get to on time. So that's a little bit flexible, but just getting that good sleep the night before. Um, and then moving on to race morning, uh, you know, Ideally, you're going to want to fuel uh, before, just like you would before a race. So I know for some people it's, it's challenging, but to get up an hour and a half, two hours before you're going to start and, um, and, uh, and have your breakfast. So whatever that is that you're planning to have, we both like uh, oatmeal. We get those single serve oatmeal cups that have a lot of good carbs in them. And, um, you know, whatever it is that you're going to have, if um, the, the, the guideline and rule of thumb that we've gotten from the dietitians that we work with for people who are like, well, how many carbs do I need? I mean, both of us just kind of try to get a good amount of carbs. We don't dial it in too precisely, but the guidelines um, are two grams of carb per kilogram of weight two hours out from the race. So let's say you're, um, you know, 60 kilograms, um, then that would be 120 kilograms, I mean, 120 grams of carbs that you're going to want about two hours out from the race. Um, it's really one gram of of carbs per hour before the race or the run that you start. So if you're up three hours before, then it's three grams of carbs per kilogram, two hours before two grams of carbs per kilogram of weight. So it sounds a little complicated, but um, the closer you get basically to your start, the fewer 
carbs that, you know, if you're on one hour out, you're going to want one gram of carbs per kilo. So you're not equal to your, to your weight in kilograms, not in pounds. Um, so that's for people who are kind of really trying to be scientific about it. Um, uh, and then we recommend taking a salt or electrolyte tab, like salt stick or water with noon with your, with your morning meal. If you're somebody who's used to caffeine, having your coffee, having some, um, tell my little funny story of, I don't drink coffee. I don't like coffee, but as Julie knows, I, I like to have a diet Mountain Dew <laughs> for a race. It's very bizarre. And it's like this kind of now, just like, you like to have the college, the college vending machine drink. It's so gross. <laughs> I look at it now and I'm like, how did I ever get into this habit? But it's now it's like, it's like my routine. And I feel like if I don't do it, something bad's going to happen. So I drink this green, um, you know, diet Mountain Dew. So it doesn't have sugar. So it's not like upsetting my stomach with sugar, but it's got lots of caffeine. And I don't normally drink caffeine. So I like to think that it gives me a jolt of caffeine. But so if you're used to that, it's okay. If you're not used to it, I would be very careful because caffeine can also stimulate your GI system. And that's the last thing that you want. And that's actually raises another good point about bathrooms on the course, making sure that if you're somebody who knows you need to stop usually when you run, making sure you've got, you know, where that is on your course, whether you're looping back by your house or, um, you know, somewhere that you know that you can stop to use, use the restroom. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, making sure you're drinking some water before, um, before you get on, um, before you head out. And, um, I would say, you know, we usually tell people stop eating about an hour and a half hour, hour and a half before you're heading out to give yourself time to digest. And then, yeah. So let's, let let me just go back for one, one minute. We have talked, we talked about this in our last, uh, race prep podcast, but I just want to reiterate that some of you are not going to be running at the race pace you would normally run in a marathon. So this is more of just an extended long run versus a race. So if that is you, then, you know, you're going to have to use your instincts a little bit more in terms of how much to eat before your run. So when we're talking about all of these carbs, we're, we're talking about it from a place of you're going out and you are running at your threshold tempo pace, your marathon pace for 26.2 miles where you are trying to sustain a, a pace that at first feels easy. And then of course, as the race goes on, feels more challenging. And to that end, and we talked about this before, you want to be able to take in your fuel early because later on your digestive system is not going to be working as well because other systems will also be struggling a bit as we're we are in this place where we are working so hard to keep our bodies running through 26.2 miles. If you are running this race more casually, your digestive system um, may not need quite as, quite as much. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have a lot of carbs, but it does mean that you may not have to have as many as you would during a normal marathon situation. But I just want to give a couple of examples, Lisa, before we move on, just what we typically eat before a marathon, just so people can kind of get an idea in terms of, you know, how much all of these carbs are. So like before the Boston Marathon, we both typically have um, sort of like three mini breakfasts. And with this, we know everyone's not going to be getting up three, four hours before the race because you're not taking a bus or anything like that. So probably everyone's, I would suggest everyone who's doing this in the morning, 
get up at least two hours before so you have enough time to eat and then stop eating an hour before so your stomach can settle. So Lisa, why don't you share what you plan on eating, you know, about two hours before the race for your pre-race breakfast? Yeah, I'm going to stick with what's worked for all these years. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stick with oatmeal. Um, that's what, what, what I'm going to have. And, and I will only, I mean, Boston's very different because there's a lot of time between when you wake up and when you run. So many more hours than we typically have. So this is a little different. This is more like a standard marathon, non-Boston marathon that we've run. And, um, I'm usually good with, um, an oatmeal. And I know some people, um, and some of our runners do like to, you know, 10 minutes before the race starts, have a goo or chews or some kind of quick hit of carbs to top off their glycogen stores. Again, if you're used to doing that and you've practiced it, or you know that whatever you're using that quick glycogen, that race nutrition doesn't bother your stomach, that's fine to do too, you know, about 10 minutes before, before you start. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's what I plan to do. Stick to tried and true. Going to go buy my oatmeal at the grocery store and bring it with me and make sure I have some hot water to make it. And, and it's super easy. It's in one cup and I know I'm getting everything I need and, I'll drink my Diet Mountain Dew and, and my water and take a salt stick. Those, that's something I, I've been doing also, a salt stick cap, because um, that has all of the electrolytes in it. And I take one before the race, and then I take one, one per hour during the race and um, one after even. And that definitely helps during the race and after. I used to get horrible migraines after races, even as short as like a 10K or 10 miler, um, because I think my electrolytes were off. And when I do the salt stick caps regularly like that, I, I usually avoid getting that post-run headache. So, um, so I'll do that as well. I would recommend um, if you are inclined to put a little bit of a little bit of banana or fruit also in your oatmeal just to get a little bit more. Yeah. So yeah, just a little sneak a little bit more carbs in there. Um, so yeah, I think everyone is different and obviously don't try anything new on race day, but if you're thinking about your traditional pre-Boston race day breakfast, like Lisa just gave her example, this breakfast will be a little bit smaller just because you don't have three, four hours of you sitting there before the race. So just wanted to point that out. Yep. So, um, you know, let, let's just go through then. Um, I think we went through everything kind of, uh, the day before the race morning, um, we've done that and then it's race time. So, um, and, and again, it's really going to depend on what your strategy is. So we have runners who are going to just go out and run an easy training pace, which is great. Um, we have runners who are going to go out and try to maybe negative split. That's their goal. They're not going to go for their race time, but they want to be able to finish strong and feel good about it. So that's, um, Whatever your goal is, whether it's to run it at a race pace or run a negative split, or maybe you are going for a particular time just because you want to know you can do that, don't start out too fast. And um, that is, you're going to get out there. And even if you're running on your own, you're going to feel excited. You're going to feel good. And that is our, our biggest tip for race time. And, and we have a, a little bit of an advantage on a virtual course, especially if you're running by yourself, that you're not going to get swept up by that adrenaline and the big crowds and going out too fast with a group that's too fast. Um, but look, you have been training now for probably nine months, most of us, at least for, for Boston. Um, you, you probably have a sense of what your finish time would have been, or if you're not even going for that time, what you, what you want your finish time to be. Take that, look at that, whatever that pace per mile is, add 10 to 15 seconds at least and start there. And, um, and really in a virtual race, in a regular race, no one has ever 
finished really strong or done really well by running hugely positive splits, by starting out too fast and then fading at the end. So every really great race ever run has been run evenly or, or negative split. So patience is the name of the game. And if you have to write out a pacing plan and write it on your arms, like, like we have runners do for, for actual races, do that. Put your, you know, put your, we like to do it in three mile increments so that you're not kind of obsessing over every single mile, but three mile increments, like where you should be at mile three, six, nine, 11, you know, 12. And, and if you're off from that, then you can gradually adjust over the next three miles. And what you really want to make sure you're doing is not getting too far ahead of that because that will um, come back to, to haunt you. And, um, and you can even write down on your arms too, like you think about your fueling plan. And like you said, Julie, if you're running at a training pace, you may need less fuel during the run than if you're running harder and burning glycogen faster. Um, but we like to say as a general rule of thumb, it's when you're racing about every 30 to 40 minutes. So if that's every four miles for you, every three miles for you, every five miles for you, maybe round it to miles. It's usually easier to remember miles than it is to remember time and calculate time as you go. But just have that, you know, have that down. Know, know when you're going to be fueling. And if you're someone who, and I know there's many of you out there where you have no idea what your pace is going to be because you haven't really specifically trained for this, but you're doing, as we've mentioned before, a, an extended long run by running 26.2, then that's an even more, more important reason, as Lisa mentioned, to start out at a very, very comfortable pace. So if your talk test pace, your LSD pace is typically around a nine minute mile, don't be afraid to start out at 9.15 just to really ease into this. So then when you hit mile 20, you're still feeling okay and you can get to 26.2 miles. And this is particularly for those who haven't run much and are just kind of going out there and winging it. And we know you can do it. And we've talked about this before. We know anyone who's done marathons and you're just going out because you want to run this race, we know that you can do it. But do yourself a favor. Don't get crazy and just really be mindful of your specific training and stick to a plan that is conservative that will allow you to finish strong and, and feel okay so that you can keep on running well after this marathon. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. And we'll talk briefly at the end about recovery, but remember that you're running 26.2 miles. So it is, you know, even if you're going out just to run at a training pace, it's a lot of, a lot of stress on your body. So um, making sure you're fueling, making sure you're hydrating. And again, we talked about this before, so we won't go over it again, but making sure you've got a plan to be able to refill your water bottle or grab water um, pretty regularly. And um, I think, again, just like we talked about at the very beginning, kind of bringing it back full circle, um, what's going to be so important during in race execution is mental strategy, because this is going to be particularly challenging without having the typical crowds or the course and all of the things that we've come to rely upon for that, that boost, you know, when, when things get tough. Um, so I think the mental strategy is, is really key. And something I've I love that when we talked to one of our podcast guests um, last, the first year we did this is, was the mental strategy of breaking the race down into thirds. And I know we've talked about it on here before, but I'm going to say it again because it's really helped me in all of my races since that podcast was the first third you run with your, your head. So you're, you're thinking what you just talked about. Am I pacing properly? I'm being smart about my race. Am I pacing properly? Am I starting my nutrition on time? Am I getting into good habits early? Am I like, you know, when I can think straight and when my mind is working, let's run smart. 
And um, that's the first third of the race. So that's about like eight and a half miles or so. Second third of the race, you're running with your legs. This is a distance that even I, who have not trained up to as many miles as I normally do for my long run, from that eight and a half to like 16 and a half, 17, we've done this a million times. Your legs can do this. Your legs are strong. You want to think about your turnover. You may want to think about changing up your gait just a little bit, especially if you're running a flat course. Um, you know, if you're running a flat course, same muscles working over and over and over and over again. So maybe at that point you want to put in a couple strides or very carefully some butt kicks or some high knees just to change up the muscles. That or as we discussed, take, take walk breaks for your water right. stops. Yep. So this is where you're running with your legs and you're thinking about my legs can do this. I'm strong. Um, do I need to change up my gait a little bit? How's my cadence? Is my cadence still high? Thinking light and steady. Um, and then comes the last third. And this is where really, you know, this is where we all start to struggle a little. And this is where, this is where we're made, I think, in the marathon is that last third. And that's where you run with your heart. So that's where you think about what is, what is my why? What's my motivation? And these are things you can think about this week so that you're not struggling to come up with this on your run when you're tired and fatigued and maybe not in a great mood where you're thinking like where it automatically comes to your mind of what, what is it that, that motivates you and what is in your heart and what's going to really get you to that finish line. And that also then breaks up the race into or the run, the race into, into segments, into manageable segments that we've talked about a lot. And I always thought that was a really good way to think about it. So really, again, like I said, coming full circle, this is what you want to think about this week is what's my mental strategy going to be when I'm out running on, on, in a, in a conditions that aren't like what I'm used to for a race and where there isn't kind of a finish line and people cheering me to the finish, big crowds cheering me to the finish or where I'm not doing, you know, a, a right on Hereford, a left on Boyle Street, where I'm not, when I don't have that to look, where I don't have the sicko sign to look forward to, what, what is going to keep me motivated? What's going to be my why of getting to that finish line? Because it could be very easy at that point to say like, whatever, this is, you know, not real. And, but you got to finish what you started. So what that, that's to me again, really what, what's going to make this a successful experience is having that mental strategy, um, strong and ready to go for that day. So that's, um, you know, we also talked about this a little bit before, but because this is a virtual race and because you may be running this on your own, you might want to be listening to music. You might want to be listening to a podcast. You might want to be listening. The, the Boston Marathon app has uh, uh, like um, audio cues that you can listen to that do have, you're now entering, you know, this whatever town now you're now I think it has cheers or you'll say now you can see the sitco sign so if you think that's something that'll motivate you um play around with that this week make sure you've talked about this before you know maybe uh if you don't have them ready <laughs> some aftershocks so that you can hear what's going on around you make sure you're safety first but um but this may be a time and, and you don't have to somebody had asked me this week they said oh you know I heard you and Julie talking about how you should listen to some music or a podcast now because you're doing this on the own. I've never done that before and I, I don't think that'll throw me off well that's okay. Don't, you don't have to do that, but you know, but it's okay if, if you think it'll help you, or maybe you bring some earbuds with you and you pop them in or your aftershocks with you and put them on at mile 20 when it's like the last six miles and you just need some good music to motivate you, or you need those sounds of the Boston marathon, or you need our podcast talking to you. You know, if you need something for, for some of the run, maybe you pick those up along, along the way. Yeah, absolutely. I can't think of something more motivating than us talking to people. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like run away, run away, run away from them. Stop talking, people. Stop talking. To them. Yeah. So that's. So I know. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I think uh, now is an appropriate point to move on to a finish line plan. And 
maybe part of your why could be what meal is waiting for you at the finish line. So may I suggest that you figure out what you want your post-race meal to be when, so that it's kind of a treat. And um, I know for us, um, when we run Boston, uh, often what gets me through to the finish line is knowing that I'm headed to fire and ice to meet up with my friends and have a beer and, and talk about the race. And it's always so rewarding. So if there's something that you can create, whether it's a special, a special meal or, um, seeing friends at the finish line or something that will motivate you to finish, uh, by all means do that for yourself. You deserve a treat after running 26.2 miles virtually. So have some motivation. Yes. And you know, Lisa, that reminds me, do you remember, um, it was like three or four summers ago when we did that filming for, uh, with, uh, Giselle for Real Housewives in, in a Bethesda park and they made us like film faking uh, a fake 5k we we never got on the, on the show. It's okay. Yeah, but yeah. We're not Are you gonna talk about the kid, the kid that came running? Yeah. Or? Okay. So we they the producers of the Real Houses of Potomac had us film scenes with one of their housewives. Her name's Giselle. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but they cut us from the from the scenes. It's fine. We're not bitter. And she was the 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 plot was that we were coaching her to run a 5k. So they had us do some stuff on the track. And then we had to go for another scene to a park and they rolled out paper towel and made a fake finish line for her that we had to practice running through. And these campers were, it was summer and these campers from some day camp were watching the whole thing. And these kids completely interrupted the scene and ran through our makeshift finish line, paper towel line. But I digress. My point is, is make a finish line, have your friends or family set up a finish line for you. And if you're not sure how to do that without, you know, completely making a scene, may we suggest getting a paper towel roll and rolling out paper towel. That <laughs> Toilet paper. Yes. <laughs> That'll work too. I mean, you can actually with- print out, you can print out a finish line band, like a finish I think, okay. from, from the Boston app or from on the website, you can download it. So um, yeah, but I think that's a great idea. Have something to celebrate after, like take pictures, post them on social media. You can post them. The Boston Marathon site has some hashtags to use, like really celebrate. Even if it is, you think in your head, well, that was just the long training run. Like you did, like, this is the kind of the culmination of many months of uncertainty, of, of anxiety, of, um, not having a lot of direction of not knowing what the future was going to look like. And this is, you know, this is the culmination of that. And it's sort of the end of a cycle of, of a lot of hard work. So, so celebrate it. I think that's, it's a great idea. And recover, recover. So, you know, like we yeah, said, yeah. even if you're just running this as a training run, it's still 26.2 miles on your body. It's still a lot of, a lot of strain. So take, you know, we uh, personally, and we take, and we tell our runners to take at least four or five days of easy active recovery. So that can be a walk, that can be a light swim. It could be an easy spin on a bike, on a stationary bike or, you know, an outdoor bike if you want, but a regular bike, but, um, but really just kind of keeping some gentle movement to help with the recovery, help the blood flow helps with recovery. Um, I'm a big fan of compression gear. I usually wear my compression socks and my compression cast sleeves for like two days after races just to help. I feel like it helps. Um, 
you know, just uh, maybe book a massage, like a gentle massage for after the race. That actually brings up another question we've had um, about what can you get a massage before your race? And, and absolutely you can. You want to go to a massage therapist who's familiar with runners because you don't want a deep tissue massage right before a race that's going to fatigue and in some places could even bruise your muscle, you know, really give you sore muscles. So you don't want that, but a, an easier like Swedish massage, like a lighter, gentler Swedish massage to kind of just get those muscles flushed out and, um, and loosened up before totally fine. So, um, but after you can book one after to help with the recovery process too, but really honor that recovery process. We see, well, we don't see with our runners luckily, but we know that one of the highest likelihoods or incidents of injury is right after a race, because usually in, I don't know, four or five days, you're feeling pretty good. Maybe you're not sore anymore. If you were well-trained, you won't be sore after, you know, four or five days. If you were not so well-trained, then you're going to feel the soreness longer. But maybe after four or five days, you're like, I'm not sore anymore. I'm great. And I'm on a high now. I'm going to go, you know, run all this. I'm going to keep up the mileage that I ran. You know, I feel weird not running that mileage or, um, you know, we used to say go and run another race really quickly, which probably isn't happening. But people, I think also still have a lot of time on their hands and may feel like they don't want to give up that mileage. And that time after you're running that 26.2 miles is really prime time for injury. So a lot of people make it through the marathon fine and then find themselves a few weeks later injured because they didn't honor that recovery time. So don't underestimate that. It's still 26.2 miles, regardless of whether you're running at a race pace or you're running nice and easy with your friends and taking stops and, you know, walking and socializing, whatever it is that you're doing along the way, still a lot of time on your feet. So take that week after to do some active recovery some cross training, get a massage, sleep. Sleep is the best way to recover. Eat some good nutritious foods. Um, and then maybe, you know, the next weekend or a week after you can go out for some easy recovery runs and really you should take three to four weeks of, you don't have to stop running, but only easy runs, short, easy runs. And that doesn't mean like during those three to four weeks, because you're not running as much that you should then start doing other things, a substitute for running just as vigorously. Like it's not a, it's not, yeah, don't take up CrossFit or, you know, start like a a huge uh, cycling challenge, um, you know, or anything that would cause you to do something where you're challenging your body just as much, but in a different way you really need to allow your body time to just absorb all of the work so that when you are ready to resume running or whatever your choice of activity is post-marathon, you can do that without risking injury. Yeah. So that's all I got. It's a lot. We talked a lot. You know, we thought we wouldn't have that much to say after we already did kind of some race prep a few weeks ago, but there's a lot to say about the week leading up to the race and and the day before and executing. And if anyone has any questions or welcome to email us and, um, you know, we're happy to, happy to help. This is a weird, a, a weird prep. It was weird to sit down today and write race prep for a virtual race because, you know, you take out everything about, packet pickup and lining up in corrals and, you know, pacers and going out too fast with a group, with a, with a, the corral. And there's so many things that you take out. Um, but there's a lot of stuff to have to put in because a lot of different considerations. So none of us have done this before and, uh, we're happy to hear questions and input and what's worked for you. And if you do your virtual Boston, um, you know, post it on our Facebook page, send us a message, let us know how it went and, you know, your feedback that you have, because there are, uh, what is it? I don't know, I guess like nine days that people can do it. So if you're doing it at the beginning and you've got any good tips that we can pass along to folks doing it later in the week, 
let us know. Absolutely. And if you've stuck with us this long, thanks so much for listening to this entire episode. <laughs> anyway, I'm tired. I got talking about sleep. I got to go to bed. <laughs> I, I go know. To so anyway, thanks everyone to those running this weekend. Good luck. We hope you have a great race. We are with you all the way and we are already proud of you. And tune in next week. We will do a recap of how ever uh, we ended up Lisa, you well, that'll be two weeks. That'll be two, two weeks. weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll, we'll do that in um, two, two weeks. weeks. At the end yeah. of the Boston Marathon virtual window, we'll check back in. Yeah. yeah. So good luck, everyone. Have a great race, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye, Lisa. Bye, Julie. We are really excited to announce that we have our first sponsor. R&J Sports, which is located in Maryland, is the first sponsor of the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Even though R&J Sports is a locally owned running store, they do ship nationwide and have a website from which you can order, rnjsports.com. If you go onto the website and purchase something over $100, just put in the code RFFFEATURES, F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S, and they'll throw in a free pair of feature socks with your purchase. You can also call the store at 301-881-0021 and over the phone, they'll provide some terrific guidance on which shoes are right for your foot. While it's not the same as a in-person fitting, for many of us, we can't do that yet. So this is a great option. In fact, one of our runners in China recently contacted the store and they provided her with some great advice and she was able to get a replacement pair of shoes that's working for her very well. So again, call R&J Sports at 301-881-0021. Let them know that you're with the Run Farther and Faster podcast. And if you make a purchase of over $100, they'll throw in a free pair of socks or you can go on their website. Thanks so much, R&J, for sponsoring our podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.